What up, brawlers? Welcome back to Throne Hands. We got another special episode with, for, for you guys today. Alongside me is Daniel Woods, per usual. But we have another special guest on today, Julian Arosa, UFC contender. How are you doing today, my man? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. So, you know, we're just going to hop right into it. So, how did you get your start in MMA? Like, what made you want to do this? Or, like, what martial arts did you start out with? Like, how, what made you get to this point? Uh, I actually uh, have no like background in any kind of mixed martial arts or wrestling or boxing or anything. I was uh, just a skateboarder, uh, uh, snowboarder, you know, young kid that just like, you know, had gotten into some street fights uh, when I was about you know 17, turning 18. And uh, me and my dad used to watch the uh, uh, World Extreme Cage Fighting, the WEC, uh, before uh, the UFC would, uh, you know, back in the day when I first started training, I was, I mean, maybe 12 years ago, the UFC would have like a pay-per-view once every like four or five months. So, uh, you know, the, uh, the free fights were on the WEC. So me and my dad started watching that. And uh, my dad thought I kind of uh, was built like Donald Cerrone. And he's like, maybe you should try some of that fighting stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll check out to see if we have a uh, MMA gym. And uh, sure enough, uh, in the small town that I was from, uh, Yakima MMA, uh, went and checked it out and, um, you know, kind of fell in love with it from there. Earlier in your career, you came up uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Like you said, you're from, from Yakima, Washington, and then fought a lot in the cage sport uh, promotion. Uh, early in your career, kind of working through the regional circuit, what was, what was that early stage of your career like? Uh, you know, it was uh, – I had 10 amateur fights uh, within like a year and a half. It was 10-0, and, 0, and then uh, I, my coach told me I could turn pro. And then, uh, you know, I was I was doing really well as a professional over in the Northwest. Um, you know, it was – I thought it was going to be a huge difference from going from amateur to professional, but I realized that, uh, you know, especially at the beginning stages of being a professional, you're just kind of fighting some of the better amateurs out there, you know. And, some you know, some guys can turn pro and uh, really not necessarily need to be there yet. Uh, I mean, you can turn pro anytime you want and have, like, no experience. And, uh, you know, you can have a losing record, so – you know, you definitely want to make sure your uh, your your skill sets are where they need to be when you turn pro. So, um, you know, even back then, it was like, uh, you know, you were just kind of fighting the tougher amateurs, uh, you know, in the beginning uh, stages of being a pro. I mean, it's crazy now to see some of these kids that are still amateurs that I train with down here in Vegas that are like three or four times better than I was when I turned pro. You know, I, I, I had 10 amateur fights, but I was pretty uh, green as a uh, MMA fighter. I'd only had about a year, year and a half of training uh, since I, or once I had turned pro. Some of these kids down here have brown belts before they're having their first pro fights. You know, these guys have been training for five, six, seven years before they even have their first pro fight. So it's a huge step uh, up in competition, you know, nowadays uh, compared to how it was when I first turned pro about 12 years ago. Or no, I turned pro about uh, 11 years ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it was, a, it was, I think it was a smooth transition from going from uh, amateur to professional. You know, I was, you know, 9-0 as a pro before my first loss and always had, you know, had a 
really decent record through my entire pro career. Um, and so it was a pretty easy transition, but you know, nowadays it's a whole different, uh, it's a whole different ball game. These kids, you know, they have pro, they have, uh, you know, purple, brown belts. I, I just got my purple belt. And not to say that I don't, you know, I should have been already a purple belt years ago, but uh, it's crazy how some of these kids, you know, some of the skill sets they have before they even have the first pro fight. But um, I would say it was a, it was a pretty easy transition back then uh, uh, from going amateur to professional. Okay, so after so cage sport, you win your feather, you win the featherweight belt, and then you get an invite onto the Ultimate Fighter for uh, Team Uriah Faber. Um, how did your relationship with uh, the people there, and maybe even Uriah Faber, influence the way you fight or influence you in general? Well, you know, uh, the uh, Ultimate Fighter, you're only on there for like seven weeks, so uh, and there's only so much you know some of these coaches are going to be able to show you and teach you with that amount of time. And for me, it was different, too, because I was in the competition the entire time I was in the house. So um, it was more about making things, were, making sure things were sharp, my weight was on point, and just staying healthy. Um, you know, I really enjoyed how Faber and his uh, the whole alpha male guys had, like, um, it was almost like they had series for everything. Like, it was, uh, you know, they had the stand-up series, they had, a, you know, grappling series, they had, um, you know, tie clinch series, stuff like that, like, where they would build off of things. And, um it wasn't like sporadic where one day you're, you're drilling Camorras and the next day you're drilling like a flying knee. Like it was all pretty organized. And that's one thing I did like about, uh, you know, the way he was teaching things, but honestly, it was really hard for me to absorb um, very, you know, a lot of techniques. Cause you know, I was just, I was in the competition the whole time for seven weeks. I fought four times. So I was more focused on making sure my weight was good and, uh, and that I was healthy, you know, you know, getting beat up, uh, you know, day in and day out on top of fighting, you know, four times with that amount of time. It was uh, definitely hard on the body. So more focus on the recovery. Um, but uh, those guys are super cool, man. I really, uh, really jived uh, well with a lot of those guys. And I'm still friends with a lot of the guys. I, I train with uh, Joe Benavidez um, every day now. Uh, he's fighting uh, this next weekend. So, um, you know, for the title a rematch. And oh, I don't know if, uh, if, if, uh, if his opponent got pulled for the coronavirus or not, but you know, Lance Palmer, I, I talked to him all the time. Favor, he shouted me out uh, my last fight, too. So I kept in contact with some of those guys, and uh, they're a bunch of good dudes and uh, have a good uh, uh, good way about training as well. So um, for me, it was just uh, – it was more about staying on top of the weight and being healthy uh, on the Ultimate Fighter. So it was a little more difficult for me to, uh, you know, absorb all the stuff that they were training and showing us. After after growing up watching the WEC and that kind of being part of your introduction to MMA, when you did get onto the Ultimate Fighter, what was it like uh, having your coach be somebody in Uriah Faber that was such a big face for the WEC, somebody that I'm sure was on a lot of the cards that you watched? Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. You know, that was one of the first times I had been, like, surrounded by, like, guys I've seen in the UFC, like Cody Nolove, obviously McGregor, you know, Faber, uh, Chad Mendez, uh, TJ Dillashaw, some of those guys were there for like uh, only a couple of days, but you know, touchy Philly, um, Josh Emmett was one of our coaches. Uh, he wasn't in the UFC yet. He's a big, you know, he's a big name there now at featherweight. And then, uh, you know, just a lot of these guys, man, it was, it was, you know, it was definitely kind of a shocker, uh, a little bit of a, uh, you know, starstruck when I first got there. Cause you know, I'd seen these guys on TV so much and, you know, favor is just a, you know, a huge staple of MMA, and uh, and uh, especially at the WC back uh, when I was watching it, and so 
you know, kind of being able to, uh, you know, kind of pick their brains and just kind of see how they, you know, go about doing things, whether it was small things like dieting, uh, cutting weight, you know, training day in and day out, you know, recovery, stuff like that. It was really cool just to, you know, see these guys at the top levels and uh, really uh, try to pick their brains and understand how they uh, go about doing it themselves and try to mirror that image. So after the Ultimate Fighter, you make your UFC debut against uh, Ishihara. What were your thoughts going into that fight? You know, uh, at that time, I would say I was kind of, um, you know, I really wasn't having uh, the best training camps. Uh, I was, you know, from a small town, I had, you know, only a few, uh, a few solid dudes that I was going with. But I was kind of the, uh, I was kind of the man at my gym, and so like, you know, I, I really didn't have guys that were mixing it up with me. You know, I had, I. I had kids that were there training with me, but you know, the, the, the guy underneath me, I had at the time, I think I was 14 and two or 15 and two before I lost to Ishihara, but the guys underneath me at the gym, you know, maybe had one or two pro fights. So it was like, you know, I was kind of, I was coming from a small gym and not to say that that wasn't, um, you know, that got me where I was at. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I could have be Ishihara. I should be Ishihara, you know, nine times out of 10. It was a, you know, kind of lack of prep, preparation on my end and uh you know he was a southpaw fast dude you know he's a 35er and he was fighting at featherweight at the time he got he just didn't like to cut weight or whatever it was but I was a lot bigger a lot stronger than the guy I could have taken him down I could have I could you know I could have won you know various spots of the fight you know I kept it in a, in a spot where he was uh you know strong and um you know just it was I would say it was just a lack of preparation and game planning um that I lost that fight but uh uh yeah I mean leading up to that fight, I was confident, you know, I, I, you know, coming off the ultimate fighter doing pretty well in the ultimate fighter. I mean, obviously I got knocked out by, um, Artem, but I was three and one in the house. I felt like, uh, it was going to be the start. Uh, Ishihara was going to be the start of a, of a good career in the UFC. And then, uh, you know, end up losing that fight and getting cut. So, you know, that was disappointing that they cut me off my first loss, but, uh, yeah, it was just a lack of preparation on that fight. So you said, like you said, you got cut after the loss to Ishihar in your first UFC fight. So you go back, you're, you're fighting in cage sport again. You're fighting on these regional circuits a little bit more. Was your immediate mindset that you wanted to get back to the UFC? Was that the goal in your head from the time that you found out you were cut from the roster? Definitely. You know, I, uh, you know, obviously there's other big organizations out there, but uh, I'd already been in the UFC and I was like, man, like they're going to cut me off one loss. I mean, you know, it may, uh, yeah, if I just work my way back, if I get some wins, maybe they'll bring me back. Cause I, you know, I've heard it at that time. I had heard, you know, heard through the through other fighters that, you know, if they got cut, they'd get a few wins and they'd come back to the UFC. And so, um, and obviously uh cage sport was kind of my, uh, my territory. So I figured if I got a couple wins, I'd be able to move on. Um, but honestly, I just had a fire in my ass. Uh, after getting cut from the UFC, I was just, you know, kind of upset about that. And so, I took a, a, a two-week notice fight against a pretty tough Northwest guy, uh, Daniel Swain, and, you know, uh, ended up TKOing him uh, in between rounds. He kind of answered the third-round bell. And so I, I took that fight quick and cut a bunch of weight, beat him up, and then I fought this other kid, Austin Springer, who was actually tried out for the same season I tried out for. He lost to get in the house. So I figured if I beat him, that's another little bit of a, a, of a decent guy to beat, uh, because he had fought, he had made all their fast medicals and all that kind of stuff. So obviously the UFC had been looking at him a little bit, um, at least to make it in the house. Uh, but uh, and so I ended up beating him for a belt, 
And then uh, I should have maybe waited around a little bit longer and, uh, you know, maybe try getting the UFC from there because I, I had gotten two quick wins within like a couple of month period. But my coach told me uh, that there had been an opportunity to go fight in London against uh, that Patty Pimley kid for Conor McGregor's old belt. And I figured, you know what, if I, if I win Conor McGregor's old featherweight belt from Cage Warriors, there's no way the UFC is not going to pull me back in. So, you know, I kind of took that. Took on a month notice, and, uh, you know, I had a really bad weight cut, you know, but even then my cardio was still good and uh, ended up losing that fight by decision, which a lot of people thought I won that fight. Um, I think I, I think I won the fight. I, it's After the fight, I watched it. You know, it's a little closer than I had, I had thought about when I was in the fight, but I had dropped the kid almost two times, or I dropped him twice, and, you know, he I had him backing up the last couple of rounds the whole time. So, you know, I thought I had won that fight, uh, but – you know, he's a hometown kid. His manager is actually the promoter of Cage Wars, and I didn't know that. I didn't know you could even do that. And I think that's kind of a big no-no in the in the states. But I feel like I got robbed in that sense. But I should have finished him. And uh, you know, then I lost that fight. So it was, uh, you know, back to the bottom for me again. So uh, you know, and then I I fought a few more times and kept you know I kept winning a few and then would lose one, would like win a couple, lose one. I think I was six and two or five and two, and then got a contenders fight, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I uh, I was always just thinking about getting back in the UFC, but it'd be I'd get a couple wins and then I'd lose a fight, and so uh, it was just you know that was kind of a the, the tough part tough part about going back and uh, and and not really having management either. You know, I had, I really had no management uh, up until I moved out to Vegas, and I think that's what really hurt me. Yeah, so you know, after you you uh, ran around in your local cage sport promotion and go to uh, the Conor McGregor's old promotion, you get that contender series opportunity. What going into that uh, competition? What was your mindset? What What do you think was going to happen after you won that uh, decision? Uh, oh, are you talking about the contenders fight? Yeah, yeah. So uh, leading up to that fight, um, you know, I was super pumped just by getting the opportunity, and uh, I'd been in the Ultimate Fighter so many. Uh, I had fought four times in the Ultimate Fighter, so. Uh, I knew I was going to be fighting in the same cage, the same kind of situation. So I knew I felt like I had an advantage just in that, um, where I had fought in front of Dana and everybody and where there really wasn't a crowd. It was just like your family and their family and their coaches and your coaches and, you know, a, a small amount of people. And I felt like since I'd already done it a bunch, I'd had that little bit of an advantage. And I, I just kind of knew the ins and outs of that place. And so um, I was already pumped about it. You know, I knew the kid was going to be tough, Jamal Emmer's. 13 and three, I think, and uh, they were building him up. I think I was a two and a half to one underdog leading into that fight, which was which was stupid uh, in my mind because I was like looking at our records, and uh, at the time I was like 90% finish rate, and I have like way more experience than this kid. I was only ultimate fighter, like been in the UFC already. How was this guy two and a half to one uh, favorite over me? He had he had won most of his. I mean, he was like a 50% finish rate guy. He was like, you know, wrestling dudes down or beat him by decision or whatever. Me, I was like a 90% at the time. I was, you know, choking everybody out or knocking them out, TKOing them. Um, I didn't really have many decision wins. So I couldn't imagine why they had him such a favorite. And I think it ended up getting as big as like three, three and a half to one on me. Uh, but, uh, you know, it kind of gave me a little bit of chip on my shoulder too. I was like, man, these guys, you know, they, they must not know who I am or they just don't understand. I mean, they just don't get you know, that I can, that I'm just as good as any of these other guys. And uh, I'm big, strong featherweight too. And uh, leading up into that fight, I was just confident, I, you know, the weight was probably one of the best weight cuts I had. Uh, I had a lot of time for that fight. I think I had like seven, eight weeks for that. Um, one of the best weight cuts. 
uh, one of the best camps, no injuries. I mean, leading into that fight, I was about 90%, which is, you know, most most UFC fight fighters or most uh, MMA fighters, if they could lead into a fight at 90%, that's like 100% for us. So, uh, you know, we're always banged up, bruised up, you know, dealing with certain little injuries. But I think that was the least amount of, uh, you know, bumps and bruises I had to deal with leading into that fight. Just a really good camp. Everything was, you know, aspiring on all cylinders and, uh, you know, all my sparring was going good. And uh, so I was really confident leading into that fight. Um, and, uh, you know, ended up knocking him out with a head kick. And that's the kind of head kick you, you know, the UFC, you'll get a $50,000 bonus for. And so uh, for me to knock him out, and that's the whole thing, that's the whole deal with the contenders. It's like you're supposed to, when you show, you show up there, and if you knock somebody out like that or you finish them, you usually get signed. And for me, I figured if even if I just beat him because I was an underdog and they were really building him up, if I just beat him, even by decision, even if it's a boring fight, if I beat him, they, they know who I am. I've been in the UFC before, was on the Ultimate Fighter, did really well. I even got a bonus on the Ultimate Fighter because me and Mehdi had the best fight. Like, if I just beat Jamal Emers, I'll get a shot. And for me to go out there and, and, and land that, that head kick and knock him out like that and, you know, just the reaction on uh, Dana's face and Sean Shelby and all those guys, you know, I was like, man, there's no way I'm not going to get signed right now. And they passed me up. And, you know, uh, I think it had a little bit to do with my management. And so I had to switch my management about – few months after that and uh i switched over to uh jason house uh from the radium sports agency and literally within like three or four days uh he got me a short notice fight to fight against uh Devontae smith but yeah super confident about leading up into that uh contenders fight and uh you know was, i was disappointed not to get signed after doing so well um that i knew i had to change something and uh it was my management and uh i did that and uh you know ended up getting a short notice fight again back in the ufc you talked there a lot about your finish rate, and you finished 21 out of your 24 professional wins. Uh, without having, like you said, without having like a really long background in really any martial art, uh, what was it like developing those skills early in your career to be so dangerous at any point in a fight? You know, honestly, I would uh, I really have to just give it to uh, uh, the toughness and the cardio that I uh, – those are the two skills uh, that I've kind of acquired from uh, from not, you know, obviously like a lot of guys will get that toughness and that cardio, maybe if they're wrestlers or, you know, and they're in the transitioning over or a really good jujitsu guy. But for me, I was a skateboarder and, you know, I was, I was always been competitive whatever I did. So, you know, I'd be skateboarding for, you know, hours on end, you know, and snowboarding, I would snowboard all day and then go train afterwards. And uh, just my cardio was always through the roof. And I was always just one of those tough guys, you know, I, now, I would throw myself down a set of 10 stairs, you know, you know, 20 times to get a trick, you know, and, and concrete's not forgiving, you know, uh, your training partners are a little easier on you than, uh, you know, falling on concrete over and over again. So I think just kind of that durability and that mindset that I, I wouldn't quit until I got something done on my skateboard and it kind of transitioned really well to fighting that I, I just wouldn't quit ever in a, in a round, you know, or in a fight uh, or just in training in general, you know, I just, I've always had that, uh, ability to kind of push through being tired and uh, and just outwork guys and I think that's uh, you know and that always kind of um, uh, uh, equates into finishing guys you know I a lot of my fin you know I have a lot of finishes you know uh, a lot of times what would happen is you know I want to go out there and knock some dude out in a, you know one punch it's happened before but most of the time it would be in the second round it'd be in the third round I'd be catching these guys because you know uh, I've always been the guy that's always in that fight you know it's almost like a Diaz guy where you know, you can never put Diaz out of a fight, uh, and you always got to be—you got to be worried about him. You know, so I was 
it's kind of the, uh, the the pace and the and the push I always want to put in my fights. Where uh, and even just my last fight in the UFC, you know, that's a perfect example of uh, and that really mirrored how I am in the training room. You know, uh, you know, was willing to bring the fight to the kid and ended up subbing him in the third round because you know my cardio, my conditioning, and my toughness was able to put me in that position at that time in that fight. So uh, you know, those are the two skills that I've really acquired over the years of of all the sports and all the things that I've done. Uh, to really put me over the top uh, in that sense, uh, fighting anybody really. So, you know, let's talk about your last fight. You you were brought in as a late replacement for uh, Sean, you replaced for Sean Woodson. Uh, what w- it was about a week, right? That you were uh, given notice, right? Uh, they told me on Tuesday, and I fought on Saturday. Okay, so what were the challenges that you faced going into that fight? Like, was the weight cut hard? Was what, what was the camp like? You know. <sighs> Uh, luckily I have managers, uh, luckily my manager, Jason is, uh, putting just as much work into what he does as I do in the gym. And, uh, and that's the one thing that, uh, you know, I praise him all the time about is, uh, he just, you know, he's working so hard. And, and then one thing that he was doing for me was, uh, he was really keeping me, uh, posted about things like, you know, uh, once the UFC got started again at the apex center, there was like, uh, you know, six or however many weeks in a row where it was UFC fights every weekend. He told me, hey, man, um, these guys are going to be running out of fights or fighters to fill these fights. So, you know, uh, even though you're one and four in the UFC, I wouldn't give up on, on getting back in the UFC, man. They're going to need you. Uh, you know, they're going to need guys, especially local guys that the medicals done. They can make the way and uh, take a short notice fight. And I was like, so leading up to that fight, I was probably just as in I was in just as good shape as I would have been in any fight camp because I was prepared. You know, there was like probably about six to eight weeks where I was just training every week. And then every single week that there was a UFC fight, I would, I would uh, treat that week as my weight cut week. So I'd be, you know, I'd be semi weight cutting uh, and not necessarily cutting weight. I'd be like, you know, water loading. I'd be keeping low on my carbs and my sodium and I'd be training, you know, pretty hard, but I'd be taking it a little easy at the end of those weeks of training just in case something popped up. And so I would say three or four weeks in a row before I fought, I was, you know, doing my water loads, getting my weight low, and uh, and I was even trying to uh, get my weight as low as possible on Fridays just to see where I was kind of sitting at, you know. And and but I, this was stuff I was doing just to do it, you know, just in case. And uh, you know, I think that's what really set me up, really uh, perfect for this uh, opportunity because they told me on Tuesday, but you know, it was like a fight camp for me. I'd already been training six to eight weeks, anyways. And uh, you know, they told me on Tuesday had to do medicals Wednesday. Um, but by that time, I was already – my water load was already going. I was already kind of getting low on weight. And then, uh, you know, Thursday I had to cut weight in the evening. And then Friday morning cut the rest of the weight. Weight cut was relatively easy. We had to do uh, – we ended up getting a few extra pounds. We did it at 150. And, uh, shoot, I got as low as 48 and a half. So I was only two and a half pounds away from making actual feather weight. So I could have done that if I had to. But, uh, you know, uh, just having a having a good manager. But not only, not only that, he put the work in just like I put the work in. I was putting the work in for the weeks. You know, we were doing the, we we're in the coronavirus. I was collecting unemployment. So, uh, you know, all I was doing was training. So, you know, I didn't have to work. I had a hundred percent focus on training. And so, you know, uh, you know, to take advantage of that was, you know, is what really set me apart from a lot of these other guys I was training with was, you know, just, you know, people were taking the coronavirus and the shutdown like it was a vacation. But for me, I did it in the beginning a little bit, but then I kind of got, you know, got on track with everything and, because uh, my manager was on top of me about it. And so, and my coaches were as well. So, you know, Tuesday, I heard about the fight. Wednesday, did my medicals. Thursday, cut some weight. Friday, cut some weight. 
fought on Saturday. So it was just like I had no really time to think about it. It was just go, 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 kind of a hurricane of events that happened, uh, you know, leading up to it. But, uh, you know, it was great. It, uh, you know, I was prepared for it. Uh, weight cut was easy. Um, and, you know, everything kind of just fell into place. So you you go into this fight. It's, it's against uh, Sean Woodson, who uh, a, a well-regarded prospect coming up. Uh, at the time, and still a guy with uh, some some potential in front of him. Uh, you you talked before you fought Jamal Emmers uh, on the Contender Series, and I mean he was a guy that was like you said getting hyped up as a prospect. Did you come in with a, a similar, I guess, mindset or game plan uh, in this fight as you did in the Contender Series fight, or or was this uh, a totally new uh, Julian Arosa coming back into the UFC here? Yeah, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've always been one of those, uh, like I said before, my cardio condition, my pressure, you know, uh, has always been kind of like, you know, shining through uh, most, of, uh, most, like mostly in the gym. And, you know, one thing that I think I've slacked on a little bit in fights was um, not really turning it on early enough. And so, uh, you know, for this fight, I knew that he was going to be a game opponent. You know, I watched, you know, some of his fights before and, and uh, I knew I was going to have to switch it up. Uh, and, and just make it really gritty in the beginning of the fight. And that way it'll set up these later spots in the fight for some of these, you know, uh, compromising positions for him. So I, I knew right away I was going to have to kind of get in his face. I was going to have to take some shots, give some shots. But uh, but the the main thing for me was I was going to have to make it a fight. You know, he wants to box. He wants to, you know, go, you know, jab for jab, maybe kind of do that game. But I knew I couldn't box this guy. He was, you know, he's so long and rangy, which is absolutely nuts at the weight class and uh, how tall and lanky he is. But uh, I knew I was going to have to get in his face. And I, I feel like in the first round, he was, you know, kind of keeping the tempo and he was kind of keeping his range really well. But in the second round, you could really see me starting to put the uh, pour the pressure on him and really back him up throughout the entire second round. And I think that, uh, that uh, whole second round is what really set that third round and set that choke up for me. And honestly, the, uh, the Dars choke always was in the back of my mind because – uh, uh, I've been choking everybody in the, in the, in the gym with the, the Darce choke. I'm built like perfect for the Darce choke and, and made a couple of little details, but I knew if I got a hold of his neck, it was going to be over. And, um, and, and not to say that, you know, that he couldn't have fought out of it in the beginning of a fight. Like, and that's, and that's the risky thing too. So, you know, there's been other fights where I caught people in Darce chokes and they fought out of it. And, and I might've gassed myself a little bit in some of those fights because of that. And so I figured, if I was going to choke him, I was going to save it for, you know, towards the end of the fight because uh, I knew he would he'd be a little tired and I knew he wasn't going to give up on the feet. He's got like 50 plus boxing matches. He's a Golden Gloves guy. And uh, I knew that he wasn't going to let me put, you know, he wasn't going to give up on the feet. I would have had to put him completely out. And then, you know, and even then I knew he was going to have a chin on him because he's a boxer. and I knew he was going to have some good movement that I might not be able to catch him with all the shots that I want to catch him with or catch him with that knockout shot. So uh, within those 15 minutes. So I knew that uh, he wasn't going to give up on the feet and that if I, you know, later on in the fight, put him in a compromising position on the ground that he would have a better, you know, I would have a better chance of him giving up and giving the fight to me at that point. And uh, I think you can even see that in the fight. You know, I put him in that dark show, put him to the, pulled him to the ground, locked it up good. And you even see him pull his hand out, like almost waiting to tap. So, you know, uh, I felt like I gave him a, a position and, a, and an opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to get his way out of that fight. And, um, you know, I think it was a hard fought uh, fight or hard fought win for myself. But, you know, 
just that's how I am, you know, and that's and that's really what I wanted to see in myself was just see a translation from the gym to the fight. And uh, and that's exactly what you guys saw. What you see in that cage is what I do every day in the gym. And that's all I really wanted was to translate that over. And, it, and obviously I got the win. And, you know, luckily for me, I was able to do that to him that night. So speaking of the Darsh choke, it's become a, a much more popular submission in the in the MMA game in the past couple of years, especially with Tony Ferguson doing it multiple times. Can you attest to why the Darsh choke has become more popular over the past couple of years? Yeah, you know, honestly, I think uh, when when you're talking about arm and chokes, you know, the, people are stuck in those positions. You know, like a lot of people try to do guillotines, but guillotines are so hard to finish. I mean, arm and ones are a little bit different, but uh, I mean, people have gotten so good at rolling out of guillotines, and if you just have the neck, it's hard to really, it's hard to control the body and the head. But when you incorporate an arm like an anaconda choke or a darsh choke or head and arm choke, um, you kind of got somebody stuck. And so for me. Uh, the Dars choke is such a money move um, just because of my, my length. And I, I think a lot of long guys are being able to uh, uh, catch these anacondas and these Dars chokes. And the good thing about the, the, the Dars choke versus the anaconda is the anaconda, when you're, where you lock up, it's kind of in front of them versus behind them. When you get the Dars choke, it's kind of behind their head. So it's hard for them to hand fight that. And so um, for me, I think, uh, I think honestly, just the game's always evolving. You know, there was, you know, back in the day, it was like, guys would get caught with like, you know, uh, you know, arm bars and the guy, you know, like weak arm bars from weak positions. And uh, nowadays it takes, you know, you, to, you might have to throw three or four submissions before you can even get someone close to getting choked or uh, close to getting, you know, you know, submitted in, a, in any kind of submission. And so uh, people are just getting a lot more crafty and a lot better nowadays. But for me, I feel like the, the Darce choke really stops somebody from being able to, uh, to defend it, especially, um, compared to some of these other chokes that only you don't have arms that are uh, incorporated in it as well. Like, you know, I catch people in a lot of guillotines, but uh, I would say I'm more like a 50-50 guy with a guillotine because there's just people are getting so good at rolling out of those and you don't really have control of them as much as you would with a darts choke. I feel like once I lock my darts choke on, you know, 90% of the time in the gym, even with black belts and stuff, I'll, I'll get my darts choke finished. So, um, uh, and honestly, that's just something I prefer. You know, I'm built for it. You know, some shorter guys that can't get that grip never throw dart strokes. But guys like Tony Ferguson, who's built just like me, um, I'm a little bit smaller version, obviously. I'm a featherweight. He's a lightweight. But, I mean, uh, uh, if you look at our bodies, we're just nothing but, uh, we're nothing but uh, you know, arms and legs here. So, uh, for him, and that's one thing that I've always kind of uh, mirrored myself, especially with my dart choke. And I think, uh, you know, a couple Saturdays ago when I fought Sean Woodson, that was, you know, almost a textbook version of like Tony Ferguson, you know, coming up and getting the darts choke on the feet and dragging him down and finishing. And, and, uh, and that's one thing I take pride in. And, and uh, there's a couple other darts chokes I almost caught in fights before. And I was just so disappointed. I wasn't able to finish it, but I got some details down about it a little bit better. And so uh, I'm just, I'm just so happy I was able to, uh, to lock that up and finish it the way I did. Yeah. So what are you looking for your next fight, man? Like, who who are you thinking, or do you know what's up? Because uh, did you get more? Uh, did you get signed to another fight? Yeah. So uh, uh, obviously, uh, the type of uh, performance that I had, you know, gives me uh, another opportunity with UFC. They signed me for a full fight contract, and uh, um, if I would have lost, I mean, if I would have lost that fight against Sean Woodson, I mean, I don't think I would ever fought for the UFC again. But yeah, I thought that before when I fought Julio Arce. But my my manager is a, he, like I said, man, he's working harder than anybody else that I know. And so uh, he's always, he's put me in positions and he surprised me so many times by uh, being able to get me these fights. And so 
um, you know, obviously uh, having a performance like I did, you know, helps my, uh, you know, my pursuit in the UFC and keeping, you know, my job with them. And, uh, and I got a bonus that night too. So that helps out. And uh, so I'm, I'm hoping I don't have a signed fight yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, trying to fight um, in September sometime. I know the UFC after uh, Abu Dhabi is coming back here and they're just going to be banging out fights, bang, bang, like weekend after weekend after weekend. And they're going to have contenders on the week. It's going to be contenders, UFC, contenders, UFC. It's just going to be like, it's going to be mayhem here in Vegas. So uh, for me, uh, I'm just staying in shape. You know, I got a little cut on my eye that I've been dealing with. And um, so I haven't been able to train 100%. But uh, I would say probably by next week, I'll be back into like, you know, training camp. And so I'm hoping to fight September. Uh, talk to my manager about maybe possibly trying to fight uh, a couple, uh, you know, one guy I had in mind was that Jordan Griffin. He fought the same card that I fought. He was like the first fight, and he lost against a uh, – uh, I can't remember the kid's name. Oh, Yusuf. Yusuf. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He lost against Yusuf, who was a 35er, uh, taking a short notice of fight. I think he's a 35er, right? Um, yeah. Taking a short notice fight at 45 against uh, Griffin. And Griffin looked all right out there. I actually thought Griffin might have won that fight. But uh, uh, regardless, I, uh, I think it was a good matchup for me to fight Griffin. Uh, I'm a taller, bigger guy, and he likes to try to take people down. I've, oh, I've been used to that, and uh, I got the range. I really want to just showcase uh, my abilities on the feet of, uh, uh, of keeping that range and uh, against somebody shorter than me. With uh, Sean Woodson, that guy had more range than me, so I kind of had to fight the shorter man's fight. But uh, I really want to get someone in there that's willing to you know, kind of bang it out. And uh, what I've seen from Griffin is he's one of those kind of gritty dudes as well. And, and, and not only do I think uh, uh, it's a good fight for me, but it's also another good fight for me to showcase kind of uh, – my heart and my endurance and my, my uh, durability, but also have an exciting fight. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to have a boring fight. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to win some of those bonuses. So uh, he looks like a guy that's willing to, you know, bang it out with me as well. So uh, uh, I was looking maybe to try to fight him, but you know, no, no word about that. So I'm just, uh, you know, kind of laying in the weeds right now until, uh, until my manager calls back, but you know, he's met, he's busy, man. He's got so many guys in the UFC. He's over in Abu Dhabi right now. So I know he's got uh, some bigger uh, fish to fries of right now, but uh, hopefully soon I'll have some news. All right, Dan, you got anything else? Uh, just one quick question. Uh, with you, you talked about how full the UFC schedule is the, the next couple months. Uh, with with COVID-19 kind of shutting down most of the sports in the United States, the UFC is really the biggest show in the game right now. Uh, do you see uh, mixed martial arts uh, being able to expand more into the public consciousness uh, with with everything that's going on right now because the UFC is so high profile in American sports right now? Yeah, 100%. You know, obviously, if, you know, if, if you're not a fan of the UFC and let's say you like to watch basketball or baseball or, you know, whatever it is that you're, that's what you, your, your ideal uh, sport to watch, you know, now there's none of those going on and there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that you can't do right now. So, you know, I think people's pastimes now are going to, you know, kind of funnel their way into watching the UFC even if that's like your third or fourth or fifth thing, favorite thing to watch, that's the only thing that's going on right now, you know, in the sports world. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's definitely going to bring more attention to the UFC, which is nice because, uh, you know, man, like after my performance last time, I went from, you know, being kind of a laughing stock of the UFC, not necessarily a laughing stock because, you know, uh, I'm just talking about people that really don't know who I am, you know, being one of four, you know, people like, you know, doubt me and stuff. But after the performance that I had, it's like I get so much love from so many different, out, you know, outlets and so many different people from so many different places. It's, you know, absolutely amazing. And I think uh, it has to do with, you know, obviously being, you know, everything being shut down. It's bringing more light into the, uh, the UFC. And 
uh, you know, giving me more guys like me more exposure. So uh, 100%, I believe that uh, it's bringing more attention to the UFC, which is great for guys like me and, and other guys that are up, up and coming and uh, want to, you know, need it. They're taking these short notice fights and just, you know, one day nobody knows who you are. And the next day you took a short notice fight and you, you know, you beat somebody that, uh, uh, that you weren't expected to be. And, uh, you know, now everybody knows who you are. All right. Uh, where can the people find you on social media, Justin? Uh, Julian, my bad. I'm sorry. No worries, man. No worries. All the time. Uh, uh, obviously, Instagram, uh, Julian Rosa 3 on Instagram, uh, Julian Rosa just on Facebook. Um, I think I'm just, I think I'm Juicy J on Twitter. My, my wife does most of my Twitter stuff. Uh, I'm hardly ever on that. Um, but yeah, just, uh, you know, obviously, if you just type in Julian Rosa, it'll pop up on, on any of the social medias. But, uh, you know, yeah, follow me, check me out uh, if, you, if you're interested in knowing what my next fight is and what I got going on. Yeah, All right, man. Hey, appreciate you guys yeah. for having me on the show and uh, kind of getting the word out. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah. All right, all right, guys. I'll do it for us here. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time.